Welcome everyone to Battle to Bees, Phoenix and the Ferryman podcast. And this is a special makeup episode for us being out of country last week. And tonight I have a special guest for you, um, Crystal Castle, who is an author and a speaker. And I believe she is still coaching as well. So give her a little bit of a warm welcome. Hey. Hey. <laughs> so, so happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, so happy to be here. So I had the privilege of being on your podcast uh, almost a year ago. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> so where are you on episodes now? Oh, geez, I don't even know. Um, I have to think. I was a... So the series that I had you on was a special series for um, survivors of domestic abuse and people who are helping survivors of domestic abuse because October is National Domestic Awareness, National Domestic Violence Awareness Month. <clears throat> so um, I had, I think, 20 people that I interviewed for that series. Um, and there could have been more, unfortunately, you know, it could have been a lot more. It's so sad to say. But um, after that, I think there was probably another maybe 40 episodes. So, so have you discontinued your podcast? Um, I'm moving in a different direction. So I'm kind of working on something different. Um, but I'm going to be starting them again soon. So, <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And like you said, it, there could be so many, so many more. There's an unending need for people in this industry, for people on the underside of this industry, on the support right. side of this industry. There is so many people struggling with trauma of every variation. Um, and I had to step away. I personally had to step away from the human trafficking and domestic violence and, and that side of the trauma therapy because it was so, it, it was so parallel to my story that I was finding, I was finding it difficult to separate and keep myself safe in, and in, in working with that trauma day in and day out. So now I work with people whose stories, um, I also relate to that I've also been through some of them, but my healing is much more thorough on that side of the spectrum. So it's easier to handle um, the deep work that needs to happen and I can keep myself safe doing the work day in and day out. So over time, it's really interesting how much we as healers uh, shift and change to, to keep ourselves functioning and healthy as well because healing is always a forever journey. It is. And as keeping yourself healthy is what's important because a lot of us, you know, we were, the majority of the people that I've seen that are healers, <clears throat> they've been through so much trauma themselves and they want to help people to help pe keep people from suffering the way that they did, which is one of the reasons why I do what I do. And it's really difficult when you're in the thick of it all the time, you know, you really can't get yourself away to, to rest and relax and recharge because you're in it all the time. So it's, it's really difficult. It is. Let's go to a happy place <laughs> moment before we dive into all that deep stuff. Um, let's get a little quirky and a little fun. What makes you you? What makes you unique? What, what, 
who is Crystal? <laughs> um, I'm, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a, an interesting person. I am a duck mom. I have rescue ducks. Yeah, I know it's really strange. Um, but that's a whole nother story all into itself. Um, <laughs> people wouldn't think that ducks need rescuing, but they do. Um, you know, I, I run a small micro farm for fun. It's a hobby. I love it. Um, I'm an advanced master gardener. I really enjoy spending time out in, in nature and, and, you know, nurturing things. And that's kind of my therapy is, you know, really getting out and putting my hands in the soil and, you know, smelling the earth and just being out in nature. I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, something fun and interesting about me, I guess, is I am a, I'm a closet death metal freak. <laughs> Right there with you. Nothing <laughs> well, I don't about. look like it, but you know. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I guess I would I would consider that quirky because most people that know me are just like, what? <laughs> what are you listening to? <laughs> I love those things that are not predictable. I mean, right. so many assumptions based on you know a career and appearance and all that stuff. Right. And it's really fun when we have those. <laughs> those undercurrents that, that throw people off or surprise them. I, I think that's one of the funnest things in life is to be able to, to really trip people up when they're like, you did what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, not you, you did that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause everybody thinks you're just so perfect and pristine. I know. Like, it's, it's like, wait, are you, that's what I get. Like, are you a little old to be doing that? <laughs> what? Never, never you know, go to a concert, get in the mosh pit. And everyone's like, um, yeah, you're a little old for that, aren't you? And I'm like, no, never, really, never, no. no. Experience. We have to experience life to its fullest all the time. Well, I mean, we're. I was just telling somebody today, we're only on this miracle ride once. Like, why not enjoy it? Right. Why would we go? Oh wait, I turned forty. I should probably give up on everything fun now. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm careful because I do think about like. I have to go to work tomorrow. I right. have to be able to drive. <laughs> you know, I I need to I need both my arms to type and do things. So I'm kind of careful, but you know. So a little more caution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not like the careless abandon that you do when you're a teenager, you know, you're just like <sighs> eh, throwing yourself at you know yourself and everything. Yeah, sometimes I miss that careless abandon. Yeah. So Let's get into what you had mentioned that so many of us as healers, we've been through our own stuff. And that's really what this show is about is that trauma, that arc, that overcoming those things that we think are going to take us down. So give us a little bit of your trauma story. What is your, what were your challenges? So <clears throat> I um, was a child victim of sex trafficking, and then I ended up becoming an adult victim of sex trafficking. And um, I was forced into prostitution and, you know, to do a lot of things that I really didn't want to do. And um, I did it under a threat of violence, not to myself, because honestly, like, if they would have killed me, I would have been perfectly fine because, um, you know, I, I attempted suicide multiple times in my life because I was just so depressed and I hated my life. I hated everything about it. Um, but they threatened violence against my family, you know, killing my mother, killing my brother, killing my sisters. 
And I didn't want to be responsible for somebody else getting hurt. So, of course, I did what I felt I needed to do in order to to survive, not just for me to survive, but for for me to keep them alive, basically. And, you know, because of that, I, you know, suffered from deep depression. Um, I mean, I, I detested myself, absolutely hated myself. I abused myself with food and alcohol. I was, I was an alcohol, an alcoholic, a full-blown alcoholic before I was even old enough to drink. And um, it was really, really difficult to deal with, you know, the thoughts of everything that happened to me and, you know, all of the, the things that I was forced to do. Um, you know, I had deep regret and, and shame, so much shame. You know, I, w- I thought to myself, you know, I can't ever tell anybody what happened to me because people will judge me. That all they'll do is think, you know, how could you let this happen to you? How could you do this? How could you go along with it? I mean, it's even the same as like being in an abusive relationship. You know, I hear people all the time say, how could you stay with him? Why didn't you leave? Like, you have no idea, unless you're on the inside, how horrible it is, how much they break you down, how much they beat you down, how much they threaten you. You know, I've been beaten. I've been put in the hospital. I've been damn near just like strangled to death. And, you know, like to the point where I thought I was going to die and, and I almost welcomed death. And, and it was really hard because every day I would have to get up and I would have to do the same thing over again. And every day it was like, when is this going to end? Is this going to end? Please, God, make it end. Somebody, please make it end. It needs to stop. And it was really, really hard to have to deal with. And and then, you know, one day I, I got away and, and I just decided to like stop drinking and couldn't... <laughs> You know, you drink to to mask the feelings, to to hide from the hurt, to drown your sorrows, basically, to kind of get away from the thoughts and the feelings because, you know, and it's not just alcohol, it's food, it's abusive relationships, it's, you know, unhealthy sex, it's, you know, drugs. There there's so many different things that people do to numb, you know, going and and just vegging out, watching television, playing violent video games, you know, these kinds of things we do to distract ourselves, to keep ourselves from thinking about these things that have happened to us in the past. Because it's really difficult to get away from the victim mentality. And and that's where a lot of people, you know, have problems is the the victim mentality and not just the victim mentality, but the the adherence to this identity, this, this happened to me. And it becomes such an overpowering sense of self. Like you can't, you can't separate yourself from this thing that happened to you. It becomes you and it, it, it just takes over your entire life. And one of the things that I realized was that every time I would go into this victim, poor me, poor me, you know, I I can't believe this happened to me. Why did this happen to me? You know, how did they let this happen to me? All of these things, I was letting these people that abused me win over and over and over again. So as long as I kept doing that, they still had me in bondage. And one day I realized I can't, I can't let them win anymore. I can't. 
I have to get free. I have to set myself free. And that's what I've been working on for the last 20 years is setting myself free and helping other people do the same. That is one of the most challenging conversations to have to be with people too, is I've noticed as, as people start to reach out and realize that they want to change and that they want healing, there's a moment when they're ready and a place right before they're ready. And in that moment before they're ready, when you say you've got to let go of this victim identity, they, they get angry and they, they give you this, you're victim shaming, you're blaming me. And there's this whole sense that to say that you can choose now something different, that you can create your identity from this moment forward differently. It doesn't feel freeing to them. It doesn't feel liberating. It feels like more blame and more shame and this burden. But when people are ready, when we have this discussion with them, they don't have that response anymore. They see that that potential, that possibility. And it's only when you're in that place where you can see that possibility that change can happen. Because you have to be in the place where you go, something has to change. It has to be me. And it has to be now. And until you're there, it's easier and safer and more comfortable to, to be in that identity. And as trauma healers, we face that struggle all the time. It's being really careful how we word things and being careful what we say. Do you, do you find that? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's people dealing with the devil they know versus the devil they don't know, you know, and I think a lot of people, what I've, I've come to realize and, in, in, you know, working with people that I work with is that it like, this is their identity. And we're basically asking them to give up who they are. And they don't understand that if they give up this who you think you are now, you know, there's so much more possibility and potential. You know, was it Lao Tzu said, um, let go of what you are so you can become what you're meant to be or something like that, you know. And a lot of people, they have, you know, attachment. So, you know, I teach a lot of people mindfulness and meditation. That's how I overcame my trauma and, and how I've been able to help other people overcome their trauma. And in all of this, I've learned that, you know, it's suffering and attachment. Attachment is the root of all suffering. And it's this attachment to this identity, to this person who you just really need to let go. And, you know, working with like <clears throat> their helping them understand that there's like doing parts work, right? You know, you find the wounded child inside that needs, you know, help and healing and love and nurturing. And, you know, they can still be there and they can still be a part of you, but they don't have to be the part that's controlling your life. You know, I'm not asking you to just give up this entire, you know, identity entirely. Like it's always going to be a part of you. It's always going to be there. But to say, okay, this part of me now needs to move on. And I need to do something different. I need to be something different. I need to be someone different. And I need to choose to live a better and healthier life and have, you know, better and healthier thoughts. And, and I know it sounds really simple because it's not. It's not simple at all, <laughs> you know, um, because we all have the monkey mind and the monkey mind just goes. You know, I always say it's a never ending hamster wheel of negativity. <laughs>
No, it's so funny you say that because I just literally had this conversation this morning. I was putting it into writing. Like I had to turn in a chapter for this compilation novel of all of survivor stories. So I, I did a short, brief version of my story and I kind of ended it with, this is where my story actually begins. And I realized reading it, there was this moment where I was like, and it sounds like, poof, all of a sudden healing happens and the world is this bright, beautiful place. And I was like, don't get, I had to go back and add this paragraph. Don't get me wrong. This is like, your old habits are like a highway. Yeah. And to change those habits, you literally are beating the bush up a mountain in the pouring rain every step of the way. Yeah. Like, this is the rest of your life. You either choose the highway where your brain is already oriented to that pathway that's nice and well worn through and you, you know exactly what's gonna happen or you are every single day fighting the terrain, creating a new pathway, establishing new habits, new thoughts, new everything. You are literally fighting up that mountain for the rest of your life. But when you get to the top of that mountain, the view is amazing. Oh, it's so good. It is so you, nice. And you don't regret the journey because the journey is an adventure. It's hard work. Oh yeah. You have to focus on it, but it's an adventure. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely hard work. And that's the thing is working on, you know, creating the new pathways and, and choosing the new thoughts and, and recognizing. And a lot of the problem with PTSD is, you know, the triggers, right? Because they can come up out of nowhere, you know? you hear something, you smell something, you see something. And I mean, we were bombarded with 60,000 images a day. And, you know, out of all of those, there's so many different things that we can see that that can, you know, trigger a traumatic response, or, you know, hearing things, somebody says something, and it, it triggers something. I mean, one time, my husband, I, I had an aversion to belts. And for a long time, I couldn't remember, like, I couldn't figure out why. I just, like, I don't want a belt. I don't want to wear it. I just don't, I don't need it. I'll buy pants that fit. I don't need a belt. And my husband took the belt and he, his, he wears belts and he folded it in half and he snapped it. And as soon as he did that, it all came back to me. Like this, you know, person that would snap belts because they were going to beat me. And, you know, um, they would wear belts with like these giant silver buckles and and that's what I would get so the snapping was like that it, here it's common you know you know it's common and then I would get and so as soon as he did that I was like oh my god please don't do that ever again and 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 I was like oh my god now I know why and so working through that now I can wear a belt <laughs> so I, I mean I but I had to work on it I had to work on so he had all of his belts hanging on the back of the door and I would touch the belts and I would take them down and I would put them on and I would take them off and, you know, and I would still like have anxiety attacks and everything. But, you know, recognizing that this is why this happened and not allowing it to continue to traumatize me. So it's like, OK, you know, one person using a belt one time, you know, was very traumatic for me. It was more than one time. Let's just get that out there. But it was a very traumatizing event for me, but understanding now that belts are they're they're not going to hurt me. You know, it's, it was that person. It wasn't the belt, but I just had this subconscious aversion that I didn't even, wasn't even aware of. So, you know, when these things happen, a lot of times we just go into survival mode, right? So, you know, fight, flight, freeze. And, and most of the time it's, it's flight. 
what can I do to get away from it? And, and we have to really try, and this is where the mindfulness comes in. What was it that caused this reaction? Was it something you saw, something you heard and really paying attention to it? And then kind of just going back, it's like pulling, pulling a, um, you know, string on a sweater, you know? Okay. So this happened to me. Now, why did this happen? Like, why did this song, why did this thing? Um, so I'll tell you, you know, a thing that I'm like, absolutely terrifies me. I'm 45 years old. I was four years old when I saw the movie aliens. Try explaining to a four-year-old that aliens don't exist and that's not real. You just can't like, so every time now that I see, and because it's such a huge cult classic and they've made tons of remakes and all these other sequels and alien versus predator and others. So there's always posters and I go to comic cons and there's all kinds of stuff everywhere. People dress up like aliens and I see them and I have an anxiety attack. I feel like I'm dying. And, and I'm still trying to work on this. I know it's an irrational fear. I know the movie came out in 1978. And I'm sure if I watched it now, it would look hokey and stupid as hell. But I just, like, I'm still trying to work myself up to this place where I can actually watch this movie and not feel like I'm dying, you know? Because I, I understand how bad these panic attacks and these anxiety attacks can be. But recognizing what the cause is, what the root cause is, and trying to figure out, okay, how can I change this so that this situation or this thing that happened to me no longer has power over me? So that if I get to this place again, or I see this person again, or I hear this thing or smell this thing or whatever, that it's going to be less traumatic. It's not there's probably going to be a time where it won't be traumatic at all. Maybe you'll get to the place where it doesn't bother you at all, but it, the more you do it, the less traumatic it becomes, right? The more you uh, immerse yourself in whatever the experience is, the, the less it, you know, really bothers you. And you're talking about exposure therapy and that's, that's definitely on the, science-backed um, side of ways that we address PTSD. And it's always really interesting to me to work, working in a trauma specialty where, because now I'm working with psychotherapy and all that stuff too, and the holistic modalities and the things that are, are more naturalistic, I'm finding that it's really a very multi-layered approach that works for people. So we can't, we can't do cognitive behavioral therapy alone and we can't do exposure therapy alone. And EMDR is not the end all be all answer to everyone all the time. So we literally are looking at, okay, how do we, how do we address the nervous system? How do we address the brain patterns, the actual neurochemistry of the brain? How do we, change the thoughts, the thinking patterns and the mind, like mindfulness and meditation are huge tools. And they're so forgotten in the, in the normal traditional psychotherapy industry. They're so neglected, I should say. And, and people aren't given these simple tools that they could be doing every day to help themselves. They're not exposed to these options and these opportunities that, could save their lives. Like everybody, 
everybody goes to a therapist and they're like, and we talk about it and we do cognitive behavioral therapy and we sometimes we get EMDR and that works for some people and re-traumatizes other people who are, you know, they are not with a therapist that they have a great relationship with. Mm -hmm. They're not, they don't have those support resources in place yet. Like there's all this stuff happening, but things like exposure therapy that people can actually do on their own and with a strong support circle of, of coaches or friends or, um, these are not inaccessible. These are, these are things that you can afford things that are out there for you. And that's why we're doing this show is so that you guys become aware that there's so many opportunities and so many modalities that are really, really available. And finding a really good mindfulness and meditation coach is, is a huge piece of your puzzle. And you can do that in a million different ways. You can do physical meditation. You can do yoga or Tai Chi or a movement or tell us some of the modalities that you like. What are, what are your so, favorite mindfulness and meditation? So I try to work with people into doing, you know, sitting meditation because sitting meditation is obviously the most disciplined but because it is the most disciplined, it's the hardest for a lot of people to follow. So I like to start people out with <clears throat> things like coloring. You know, there are so many different things that you can do that take your mind off of, you know, whatever it is that you're thinking about. So cleaning, vacuuming, uh, gardening, uh, singing, creating music, writing, anything where you're focused solely on whatever it is that you're doing, because you're so hyper-focused on what it is that you're doing, you're not paying attention to the thoughts because the thoughts will never stop. They never, a lot of people think that, okay, I have to sit and I have to like clear my mind. And then they sit for like five seconds and they're like, screw this. I can't do it because this, this isn't going to ever shut off because it doesn't. It's 24 seven nonstop. 24 7 365 it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes it will never stop and you don't have to do that what you have to get to the places where you can ignore the thoughts because what a lot of people don't understand is that there's two different selves right you've got your monkey mind which is some people call it your ego it's your egoic mind and then you've got the higher self so you've got like the monkey mind that's going and then you've got the driver and a lot of people don't realize that you are the driver and you're paying attention to this monkey mind and the monkey mind saying hey we got to go here we got to go there we got to do this we got to do that you got to do this you got to make sure you take care of this oh for don't forget to do the laundry and don't forget to make dinner and oh you forgot to do that and so and so needs this and you got to write this card and you got to do this stuff and you're like okay check 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 you know and you're not even realizing that you are paying attention to all this crap that this thing is saying in your head. But once you realize that there are two different minds in here and that you are the higher mind and that you can actually, whenever your monkey mind tells you, hey, don't forget this or hey, you dumb whatever because whatever, like mine, I, I call mine, can I swear? Yeah, it's like I call mine the bitch in my head because it's like I just say the bitch just said this or she just said that or whatever. And so um, 
But whenever she tells me, like, she's constantly berating me, you know, like, oh, you didn't do this. You're you're sitting here on this, you know, interview and you you baked a banana bread. So I did like right before this, I baked banana bread and it what didn't cook long enough. So it's like a little mushy on the top. And so she's like, you left that banana bread sitting down there, mushy. You didn't let it get finished cooking, blah, blah, blah. You know, so like and I tell her, thank you. Thank you for making me understand that you care enough to bring this to my attention, but I am going to choose to ignore that. And I'm going to come here and I'm going to have a nice conversation and hopefully help some people understand that they don't have to listen to you. (laughs) Yes. I I love that. But, and that's why I tell people it's a practice. It's a constant practice. And that's where the mindfulness comes in because we get so into the ruts, right? Like we're on autopilot. 90% of the time we're on autopilot and being mindful, being present, being here right now, paying attention to what's going on. You can choose instead of going down this rut, I'm going to go this other way. Tomorrow, I'm going to go a different way. The next day, I'm going to go a different way. So that you're kind of getting rid of the rut. The rut will eventually disappear. It'll be there still, but it won't be as deep. It'll be like, you know, a bunch of dirt got filled into it. And, you know, maybe you see a little divot, but it's not really that big of a mess. And it's where we get stuck in these in these ruts that really, really, you know, keep us. They keep us like firmly entrenched in these in these traumas and, and in the responses that we get, because, you know, we just we keep doing the same thing over and over, you know, the definition of insanity. We keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, hoping for a different result. <laughs> and we don't get it. And then we get pissed off. And then we're like, what the hell? You know, I was expecting something different. Well, what do you, you're doing the same thing. You're just, it's going to be the same result every single time. And you can't be upset about that. So it's just paying attention, being here, you know. Was there a moment, was there something that happened in your life that you just went, this is it. This is, this is when everything changes. Like right now, everything changes. Yeah. I, um, I went to a party, a birthday party, um, and I got drugged and beat up and dropped off in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, when I came to, I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I have to, I, I have to stop. So I quit drinking and I, now I was a six pack of beer a day, two cases of beer, two fists of Jack on the weekends kind of person. Like every single week I worked part-time at a liquor store to support, I'm not even joking, to support my habit. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday I worked, you know, and, and every, I would buy stuff during the week and I would sign a credit. And then at the end of the week, when I get my check, I would sign the check and give it right back to them. So all my money went to buy booze just from that job. Um, So I had to buy, I had to get a second job to support my alcohol habit. And at the time, um, I, I was still a really huge reader, love to read. And I went into a Barnes and Noble. And I went down the self-help aisle and it wasn't an aisle I would ever go down. I just, I don't know how I ended up there and I just did. And I was walking down the aisle and and a book fell off the shelf. (laughs) And so I picked it up. And as I was standing back up, I was kind of, you know, looking at it as I was standing up, one of the um, 
workers in the bookstore was like, oh, if you like that book, you'll really like this other book. And so he grabbed another book off the shelf and handed it to me. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to buy these because I quit drinking, but I used drinking as a crutch, right? I used it as a way to be able to stop having to deal with listening to the thoughts in my head, how to, you know, to keep myself from reliving all these traumatic experiences. And the books were about meditation. You know, one of them was Siddhartha by Herman Hess, which is the book about the life of the Buddha, you know, about how he went from being a rich prince who'd never saw poverty or disease or anything awful in his life to realizing there was a life outside of the palace that his father had tried to shield him from. And he gave up everything and spent the rest of his life trying to attain enlightenment. And then the other one was called The Tao of um, Health, Sex, and Longevity. And reading those two books and learning that there was a different way of thinking, you know, that I could actually control my thoughts. That was something that was completely foreign to me. And so ever since then, it's been it, uh, this um, October, what is today, 13th on the 22nd, I'll be 20 years sober. 20 years I've been practicing. And again, I say it's a practice because I sit down and, and, there's times where I sit down and, and all I hear is this, this stuff going through my head and I just have to let it go. That's the thing is letting it go, you know, just realizing that it's there. It's always going to be there, but I don't have to pay attention to it. I can just sit and I can move deeply and I can relax and I can just enjoy sitting and being at peace for even if it's one minute every single day to know that I had that one minute of peace is so tremendously beneficial, far more than I could I could ever say for anything else I've ever tried. <laughs> and you have a book. I do. I wrote a book. Tell I us about it last year. It's called Nourishing Mind, Body, and Spirit: A Healing Journey to the Higher Self. And it's a really small book. It's not like I. It's it's only like 115 pages and it's basically broken up into three different sections mind body and spirit and so uh i was a um amateur athlete for a number of years and after i got out of that i was working on um training you know like working as a personal trainer to help people and i realized like doing this journey for myself and then training other people that a lot of people focus on one or two things with their health. And it's usually either fitness or nutrition, but nobody ever thinks about this, right? Cause this is like, this is the driving factor here. This is what pushes you. This is what, you know, keeps you sane and keeps you safe and keeps you healthy. And I, I started realizing that a lot of people don't even think about like nourishing yourself. So how can you nourish yourself, right? And the self is basically three different aspects, mind, body, and spirit. So in each chapter, I do 10 different things. I talk about 10 different things that I have implemented in my life to help make my life better. And, and so it's just each chapter, you know, has like, you know, one thing that you can do and then an action step. So, you know, uh, one of them talks about like doing something different. So I lived in Detroit and um, Detroit is very scary for a lot of people. And it, it's very confusing the way the roads are set up. 
And at the time I lived there, there was no such thing as a cell phone. There was no GPS. I couldn't like, you know, get on the Google and be like, okay, tell me how to get here, you know? And, and so one day I just decided, you know what? I realized that every street will eventually hit a major road that I know. So every day I'm driving home from work, I'm going to try a different way and just see, you know, like where I get to, how, how, what I see, what I find. And I ended up finding all these really great restaurants and stores. And so now like, I'm always telling people, oh, like go here, go there. Cause they're going to Detroit. Oh, if you're going to this area, go to this place or go here, go check this out. Or, you know, how do you know about these? Oh my God. I used to drive around. Why are you scared? No, I was never really scared, you know? I mean, there were areas in Detroit that I wouldn't go in because there's just areas that you just don't go in in Detroit unless you live there. And even if you do live there, you just go home, you go in your house and you stay there. Um, but there's very, very small parts. And Detroit is a very, very large city. A lot of people don't realize that you could fit New York, Boston and Los Angeles within the city confines of Detroit. Uh, it's a huge city. Um, and it's not scary at all. So I'm not saying don't go there. So <laughs> I love Detroit, go to Detroit. Um, but you know, just like different things that you can do to try and, and push yourself, you know, and it's every day. It's like, I try every day to be 1% better, 1% better every single day. And some days I fail and that's okay because at least I know I tried. So failure to me is awesome because that means that I tried. You know, I may not have done a great job, but at least I tried, which is better than most people can say, unfortunately. A lot of people are stagnant. A lot of people are not choosing to live fully right. the lives that they have. And that's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't understand that they can have a different life, though, which is right? really sad. You know, they just think that they this is... I have to marry this person. I have to do this per this thing. I have to be here. I have to do that. I have to live for other people. And, you know, we have to live for ourselves. Like we can't hinder our happiness on anybody else because if we, if our happiness depends on somebody else or some outside circumstance or something, you know, outside of us, we'll never be happy ever for our entire lives. Absolutely true. Absolutely agree with you. And how can people find you? Um, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, um, YouTube. <laughs> Not really been active lately on YouTube, um, but uh, my book is on Amazon. Um, you can buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, um, the ebook's only $3.99, so it's not terribly expensive. And it's really, really like, I'm not even joking, really big print. So, like, the words it's are accessible. Really <laughs> oh yes Very for those of you that don't like to read too much it's accessible no. no and the nice thing is that it's not like a ridiculous it's not like a Stephen King novel that's like 900 pages long really tiny print that you're like oh god it's gonna take me a month to get through this um but there's really great stuff in there so yeah so you can find me at mindful shift on pretty much everything um on Facebook it's actually at real mindful shift but you know at uh, Instagram Pinterest um YouTube. And your name is at least easy to spell. <laughs> you know, my name is easy to spell, but if you Google me, you get either a really cool band or a place to vacation in Australia. <laughs> gotcha. So if you, if you Google me in Michigan, 
then I'll come up. I'll be like first on the search, but <laughs> or my name and coach, then I'll show up on the search. But otherwise, I I don't show up. It's because there's I don't know if you've ever heard of the band, the Crystal Castles. No. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a band called the Crystal Castles. They've been around since I think the nineties. And then there's a place in Australia called um, Shambhala Gardens. And they have uh, this thing that they call the Crystal Castle there, but it's <laughs> like just giant, um, giant geodes of uh, amethyst. Oh, that'd be amazing. It, it looks beautiful. It really does look like a really great place to not right now, but, <laughs> but yeah, so. So final thoughts. If you only had like 60 seconds with somebody, what is the most important thing that you could tell them? breathe whenever anything freaks you out makes you upset just three slow deep breaths breathe in through your nose out through your mouth in through the nose out through the mouth in through the nose out through the mouth and that just really really slows the somatic response down like just really really brings you down slows your heart rate and Can that happen. is also a practice yeah. when you're used to doing breathing before you get in trouble as <laughs> soon as you initiate that first breath your nervous system knows what's coming so if you start to panic you start to feel that response if you start initiating those breaths and you've been doing them regularly, your body will respond almost immediately because mm -hmm. it knows what's coming. So you'll immediately relax. The neurochemistry will stay on track. <laughs> you won't get those panic hormones popping up and you, you can like, this is stop anxiety attacks. You can stop panic attacks. Mm -hmm. in their tracks by being on those first couple seconds. You only have, I believe science is right now saying three seconds to get ahead of it before you lose control, but. Right, but that's where the mindfulness comes in, you know, paying attention and recognizing this is coming. This yeah. is what's happening, you know, and if I don't do something and, and you don't think that that three seconds is a lot of time, that, you know, within three seconds, you could recognize that this is going to happen. But I mean, as a lot of first responders know, you can do a lot in three seconds. I mean, you can do a lot of things in three seconds. It, it's crazy what can happen in three seconds. Yep. So lesson for tonight, you guys, you have way more power and way more control than you know. And you have way more choice than you probably know. Yeah. So if you're feeling like your life isn't where you want it to be right now, if you're feeling like there's something better out there for you, reach out to someone, anyone. It doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be Crystal. I mean, I've had right now I'm on 30 different guests that have different resources for you. And I haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg yet. So there are hundreds of thousands of people out there with resources for you. Reach out to someone and find what you need. And don't accept mediocrity. Don't accept I'm okay. Because you deserve better than I'm okay.
because I'm okay as usually isn't true anyway. <laughs> no. And, and honestly, just talk to people, tell people, don't be ashamed. Don't let mental health stigma let you be ashamed to tell people that you're struggling because you're not the only one that's struggling. Other people are struggling and they want to know they're not alone. And people want to help. They truly want to help, but they can't help you if they don't know that you're struggling. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here with us tonight, Crystal. And hopefully some of our, some of our audience will reach out to you or give your book a, a quick read. <laughs> so thank you guys. Thank everyone for being here tonight with us. And tomorrow I will be back on to give you guys an update on our ferryman project because we are picking up two of our plaques. So we will have two new ferryman journeys starting next week. So I will get you guys on board. We'll get that mapping started. We'll get our volunteers in order and we'll get those plaques moving across the country to their recipient families. Thank you so much for always being here for supporting my programs. And don't forget we're looking for corporate sponsors. So if you want your logo on the Phoenix Rising Jeep and our event booths and our podcast, Facebook pages and Instagram, let me know. We have some great packages for our next three people because we're trying to fill out the end of this year. So Krista Fee out and I will talk to you guys all later.